Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I was hoping to get on with our church series this morning and uh, move on into the subject of church discipline, but I had to put my laptop in the shop for a problem with that, and that's what I usually do my studying on, and uh, they're taking a while to get it fixed, so uh, I actually hand-wrote a sermon for the second time in 15 years. I know Dad feels terrible for me. He's been handwriting his sermons for about 50 years, but uh, anyway... Um, going to be uh, preaching from Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. This is something I addressed a couple of years ago. I think it was in May of 2018 when we were going through the Seventh Commandment. But it's something that does need to be brought up again on a fairly regular basis because it is such a gigantic problem in society and, sadly, in the churches as well. So, borrow from what's going on around us right now and entitle it The Pandemic of pornography, worn against a, a very prominent sin uh, of our generation. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word with all of its straight and clear language and all the warnings against the sin which would drag us down to hell, even as our Savior has warned us Uh, in the reading that we have just done. Lord, we praise and worship you because you have created us by your great power and by your stretched out arm. Lord, you have also redeemed those of us who are saved in the blood of your blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise and thank you for him and for all that he has done. I thank you for giving him a body in which to live on this earth and in which to suffer and die, and that you raised him from the dead and exalted him to your own right hand. Uh, to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance and remission of sins uh, to a great host of those who deserve nothing from you but wrath, but whom you and your grace chose to save according to your abundant mercy. We thank you for having had mercy upon us, and I pray that you would bless us as we gather around your word to worship today. It is not a uh, a pleasant uh, or enjoyable subject that we come to this morning, Lord, but it is one that needs to be hit upon frequently, and I believe that uh, to a great extent the preachers of this generation are very culpable for uh, for not addressing this uh, much more than they do. So I pray that we would be uh, straightly warned about the sins that are so prevalent and prominent in our own time and would flee from them. Help us to remember, Lord, that it is sin which destroys souls, and it is because of sin uh, that, that there are so many souls even now suffering in hell and many more headed in that direction. Lord, if there is anybody in this congregation today involved in this particular sin, I pray that you might speedily deliver them from it and grant them repentance and uh, cause them to turn away from it. Help us, Lord, to walk in the love of Christ. Help us to love one another. Lord, where there is bitterness or grudge-holding or hospitality between any members of this congregation, I plead with you that to soon remedy that and cause them to uh, seek to do what they can to uh, to find a biblical remedy for the uh, the problem that exists and help them to realize that they cannot worship or serve you aright while they are uh, out of sorts uh, with another fellow believer. Uh, 
Help us each and every one, Lord, to take your word as it applies to us and to, and to accept it and to walk in it and to repent where we have failed. Uh, for all of us need to be warned against the sins to which uh, the flesh is so easily tempted. Now we pray that you would sanctify us through thy truth, for thy word is truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You <clears throat> feel a little bit like uh, Paul in writing Second Corinthians, I think in chapter 7, where he said that uh, he was sorry that he had to write that particular letter, but he wasn't sorry because it produced a good effect in the people that he was writing to. And that's kind of how I feel in addressing a subject like this. I don't think it's something that you enjoy hearing about, and it's not something I enjoy studying or preaching, but uh, we would be very culpable if we are not warning about this uh, particular problem on a very frequent basis. Every generation has its issues that are of particular importance and deserve particular stress and emphasis. Martin Luther famously observed, probably we've all heard his uh, remark at some time that if he stood for every part of God's truth except that one part that was being attacked then he was not a faithful servant or a friend of God and so it is today there are thousands of churches now and preachers pretending that they are taking a courageous stand by crying out against imaginary sins such as systemic racism and white supremacy uh, sins that they can scarcely even define Uh, let alone find any scriptural support to defend their misplaced emphasis. There was a uh, very well-known preacher today that has, at least in the past, called himself Reformed, who was uh, saying that uh, if you're white, then you're involved in injustice, even if you haven't treated any minorities unjustly, and that being white is worth a million dollars to every white person, which is so... uh, Maybe it's worth a million dollars for him, because he's probably made a lot of money hawking his... his, Uh, religious writings and preaching and building up a big ministry, but uh, I think for most of us we can say that it hasn't helped us all that much. I wish I knew where my privilege was so that I could get a lot more advantage out of it. But anyway, that's the kind of thing that people want to say that they're being courageous about and taking a bold stand when they're just going right along with the flow of the world and identifying sin the same way that a culture that is so messed up and confused that it can't even tell the difference between a man and a woman They're in agreement with them instead of trying to get into the Word of God and finding out what the Word of God defines as sin. And so while they are tilting at these spiritual windmills, the church and the nation is being eaten alive by a moral plague of almost unfathomable proportions. And that is the plague or the pandemic, word we're all very familiar with now, this pandemic of pornography. And we should make no mistake about it. And preachers who are only preaching against sins, and I put sins in quotation marks, that the world and the culture agree with them in, while ignoring this pandemic of pornography and associated crimes of fornication are criminals before God. If, you're, if all you can preach about is things that the society and the culture and the university professors all agree with you on, but you can't preach against something that is clearly opposed to the word of God and things that you know, more than likely there are people in your congregation involved in, then you're not any kind of friend of God or any helper to the Lord's people. Amen. So this is not a pleasant subject to address for, uh, for me to preach about it or for you to hear it, but the necessity should be obvious. I'm not going to go into as much detail as I did when I preached on this a couple of years ago. Uh, I did a, a considerable amount of research at that time and, uh, and brought, brought a lot of the statistics out about the dangers of pornography. I did just a little bit of that this time. Uh, 
I, didn't, I wanted to focus more on the spiritual aspect of it at this time. But just to give you a, a few numbers that give you some uh, idea of the scale of the problem. Those who have studied this issue tell us that every single second, every second of every day, there are t- at least 28,000 people watching pornography in this country. $3 million is being spent every second on pornography, and that makes the pornography industry one of the uh, most lucrative industries in the whole world. Every day there are 68 million searches for pornography, and very frighteningly, 116,000 of these are for child pornography. I'm sure we've all noticed in the news lately that they have rescued, uh, in several different states, they've rescued large numbers of of young children, most of them girls, and uh, there is a, a big industry of trafficking underage uh, minor children for uh, sex trafficking, for pornography, for all sorts of uh, very evil purposes. 35% of all internet downloads, they tell us, are for pornography. Now considering what pornography is, sexually explicit videos or pictures used for uh, sexual arousal and excitement, the relevance of our text could not be more plain. Read it again with me, the first two verses, verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. He's not, by the way, Jesus is not complaining about people quoting the seventh commandment. He is uh, correcting the abuse of it by the scribes and Pharisees who were teaching that it is basically only the physical act. As long as you didn't actually uh, get into bed with a person that you were not married to, that you had not broken the seventh commandment. Jesus corrects that by saying, I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. <clears throat> so it's, it's very plain that uh, pornography is a violation of Christ's teaching here and something that we must warn against uh, very seriously. The relevance of our text could not be made more plain. I do need to uh, uh, just make a, a footnote here that contrary to the common belief, pornography is not a vice that is restricted almost exclusively to men. We usually think of pornography as being something that only men uh, are involved with, but we are told that now, at this point, a third of pornography users today are women, which is a, a sign of the great degradation uh, of the culture. I think that, uh, generally speaking, good men who uh, admire women and try to protect women, think of women as being, uh, as not being as uh, degraded as we are. But that, uh, that distinction that may, maybe used to be some truth to it is vanishing more and more. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to linger on the destructive practical effects of pornography usage, but it is a major contributor to many divorces Uh, I think one line that I read said that more than half of the divorces that occur nowadays at pornography use by one or the other spouse has uh, been listed as one of the contributing factors to it. Uh, I brought this out a couple of years ago when I preached on it, that how pornography actually acts as a drug upon the mind. That's why you have uh, several thousands of people across this country who are... uh, considered as being addicted to the use of pornography because uh, it... It works in your brain the same way that a drug does so that you want more and more and more of it. And just like a drug, you have to get something harder and harder or use more and more of it. Well, so the same way pornography, people go into something worse and worse and worse and more degraded. And that's why you have uh, the very uh, uh, 
well, the kind of things that we don't even want to mention or talk about that is used uh, frequently and commonly today because people are driven to more and more extreme perverted versions of pornography the longer they stay in it. <clears throat> One of the consequences of this, and I'll uh, state this as delicately as I can, but I want you to have a concept of the, uh, of the depth of the problem, is that there is a modern phenomena of young men in their 20s, when they should be in the prime of, uh, of health and bodily strength, experiencing sexual dysfunction because their minds are so oversaturated with pornography that a real-life woman is no longer satisfactory to them. So that leads me to offer a warning to all of the young men in this congregation. We have a good number of boys and young men growing up here, and some of you are getting to the age where you're interested in girls and uh, thinking about getting married sometime. You need to understand that if you use pornography, you are sinning not only against God and against yourself, but you're also sinning against your future wife and creating expectations in your mind that she's not going to be able to satisfy. And you're sinning dreadfully against her because you, you have no right to put your wife in competition with harlots that you see on a screen. <clears throat> your wife will not be able to consistently reach the expectations you have fostered by watching people made up to look better than they would look in real life and doing things uh, in, a, in a way that uh, is not going to uh, correspond to real life and by watching actors portray sexual activity on a screen. So I urge you with all of my heart and exhort you not to defile yourself and to harm your future wife and your marriage by submerging yourself in the moral sewer of pornography, no matter how delectable the temptation may seem to our corrupted minds. The place for sex education is in the bedroom of a lawfully married husband and wife, not watching actors act out their immorality on a glowing television, computer, or iPhone screen. Now, as we come to look more specifically at our text, first of all, Jesus says that sexual sin involves not only the physical act of sin, but it involves lust in the heart. Remember how James brings out uh, the process of sin, how that lust is conceived in the heart and lust brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, Israel, as I've already made note, had been taught the opposite, that as it was okay for you to entertain thoughts in your heart as long as you didn't actually act them out in life. And that's really the natural way that we think. As long as I keep it inside my own head where I'm not actually hurting somebody, well, I can think about murdering somebody as long as I don't murder them, or I can think about committing adultery with this woman as long as I don't actually uh, go and do it. That's how we want to think. I, I, I think there was a song many years ago that said something like, they can't put you in jail for what you're thinking. And there's a certain degree of truth in that. The last thing that we want, even though there are people nowadays striving for power that want to be able to do this, we don't want the government to be putting people in jail for what, for what they're thinking. It's a tyrannical government that does that. Man's duty is to judge the outward act, especially in, in civil courts. We don't want the civil courts judging the thoughts and intents of people's hearts. That's, uh, that's when you have monstrous tyranny. That's why we are thoroughly opposed to so-called hate crimes acts. The fact is that contrary to, uh, contrary to what people think nowadays, it is just as wicked and just as sinful to kill somebody for money as it is to kill them out of racial hatred. The problem isn't what motivated the killing. The problem is that you went and killed somebody. So we don't want men in civil courts judging the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
because man is utterly corrupt and will abuse that. And that's what tyrannies always do. They put people in prison who think differently than the government tells them to think. That's the very essence of tyranny. But God is able to judge the secrets of the heart. And God will judge the secrets of the heart. We must understand that. A man may perchance never cheat on his wife, but if he likes to go to the beach and hang out there and look at all the women in their bathing suits and ogle and drool over them and entertain filthy imaginations about them, or if he likes to sneak around and watch pornography, he has just as surely committed adultery in God's eyes as King David did when he took Bathsheba and defiled her. So this is not my legalistic rambling. I'm not just making up something uh, that I think is a necessary conclusion from a statement of Scripture. Jesus states it so plainly here that you can't possibly disagree with me and be an honest interpreter of Scripture. Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. These are the words of Christ, not my personal opinions. I do want to... uh, hedge this just a little bit by saying that uh, I don't want us to get to the point where we become so paranoid about this. I do want us to have a a tender conscience about these things, but I don't want us to be so paranoid that we think that any time you notice that a girl or a woman is pretty or attractive, that that means that you've sinned. God has built it into us to be attracted to the opposite sex. So uh, there's nothing inherently sinful or uh, necessarily sinful at all about noticing that another person is good-looking or attractive. Nor does the woman automatically share blame if a man lusts after her. Now, if she has helped to incite the lust by dressing immodestly or provocatively, or perhaps by acting provocatively or seductively, then she certainly does sh- uh, share a part of the blame. It's, it's very foolish for people to act like that somebody who tempts somebody else to sin has no blame whatsoever when the person sins. We do not say that to excuse the person who sinned. When we warn against immodesty and the problems that it, uh, that it causes, we're not saying that the man is totally guiltless if he lusts after an indecently attired woman. He is guilty, but women need to understand uh, some little, th- little bit of how the minds of men work and try not to throw a spark onto that gunpowder keg that is in the minds of every man by dressing uh, or acting indecently. Because men generally need very little help or enticement to fall into sinful imaginings. And men can lust after women and fall into lust and sinful imaginations even if a woman is dressing and acting with perfect propriety. And if that's the case, then she bears no blame whatsoever. Seeking to guard the heart against sinful desires is certainly one of the most difficult battles that most men face in their pursuit of godliness. Now, pornography, it scarcely needs to be said, is made for the explicit purpose of inciting and exciting depraved sexual lust. Now, it has become so prominent and so prevalent in society that it has more or less become something that we shrug at today. Everybody, uh, I guess for the last many decades, they expected young boys to be looking at, uh, at filthy magazines, and nowadays they expect them to be watching pornography. And now, in many cases, the girls and women as well. But people smile at it and they shrug it off and they say, well, it's something that everybody tries. And sadly, there is truth in that. I think, I think that even in most good families, probably uh, where it's available at all, uh, young men usually do uh, experiment with and dabble in the use of pornography. But that's no excuse for the ones who do. It doesn't matter how prevalent a sin is. That doesn't excuse the people who involve themselves in it. 
And people will even foolishly say that well, it's not doing anybody any harm. These are all consenting adults, and I'm a consenting adult, so it's perfectly harmless. Well, I've already shown you what a great lie that is and how pornography contributes to divorce and uh, great marriage problems, societal problems, uh, and even mental problems and, uh, and works in the mind uh, in many ways more dangerously than, than some, of the, uh, some of the drugs that we hear about all of the time. And you will even hear some people wickedly say that it helps me and my partner to watch pornography together. <clears throat> but for the Christian, for the Bible believer, there must not be any of this kind of reasoning or excuse making. There's any of the excuses that we can make that might satisfy our minds or satisfy the people that we are interacting with, they're certainly not going to stand up in God's court of judgment. <clears throat> these are not, here in our text, these words particularly, verse 28, these are not words that require nuance and hermeneutical expertise. There's a lot of passages of Scripture that you uh, may need a lot of commentaries and a lot of preachers to help you understand what they're saying and what they're talking about. But Matthew 5.28 really isn't one of those. It's just as plain as can be. If you're old enough to read and have any concept of what life is like, you can understand what Matthew 5.28 means. You don't need me to sit here and, and, uh, and dig through each word for four or five sermons before you come to some idea of what this verse means. <clears throat> if to lust in the heart is to commit adultery, then how dare we intentionally watch something whose very purpose for existence is to stir up sinful lust in our hearts. And of course, that, that can extend beyond pornography to lewd comedies and to dirty movies and all sorts of things uh, that may not necessarily be classified as pornography but would fall under this same warning. When we watch pornography, we are breaking God's law. We're sinning against light. We know that it's wrong. It doesn't matter how we try to excuse it in our minds. Uh, we know that we're sinning. The temptation may be strong, and particularly for somebody who is in a single uh, state or unmarried may have a particularly uh, dangerous temptation to this because it is so easily available nowadays. But once again, I say that there is no excuse that will avail when God judges the secrets of men's hearts by Jesus Christ. And that's why we have to be serious about this. And that's why I'm preaching about it. And God willing, as long as the Lord leaves me here, I'll be preaching on this every so often because uh, unless the post-millennial utopia, get, utopia gets here a whole lot sooner than it looks like it's going to, this is not a problem that's going to be going away anytime soon. <clears throat> Our duty, in Paul's plain words, is to flee fornication. <clears throat> That warns us that we had better get as far away from pornography as we can get. And I will pause to add here uh, that this church regards regular pornography usage as adultery and fornication and a behavior that is subject to the discipline of the church. <clears throat> pornography, immodesty, indecency, and immorality are all around us today in their most beguiling colors. And the worrisome thing is that everybody who wants to can have access to it. That's the frightening thing. That's why, that's why the preachers are so culpable, because they know this just as well as I do. There's not a preacher in the world who understands what the internet is and what smartphones are, who isn't aware that pornography is available to everybody, including small children. In fact, uh, it's reported that large numbers of people who first are introduced to pornography, they stumble on it by accident. It's something that happens all of the time. <clears throat> as a matter of fact, in my own experience, a few years ago, I was uh, clicked on a, a tweet by Senator Ted Cruz, and somebody had sent out a, a, a pornographic video on his Twitter account. I think uh, 
it did cause a, a little scandal in the news for a couple of days. I think one of his uh, aides had put it on there. Most of these big shots don't actually run their own Twitter accounts. They've got other people doing them for them, but uh, it was removed quickly. And uh, after a couple of days, uh, that story died down. But those kind of things happen all of the time. That's why we who are parents need to be uh, keeping a careful eye on what our children are seeing because they may not be looking to, they may be looking for some innocent children's video and stumble across things uh, that are uh, extremely uh, grotesque and immoral. So it would encourage us to keep an eye on what our children are seeing and viewing and encourage you, you, the children and the young people that if you do stumble across something accidentally, make your parents aware of it. So uh, for one thing, so that they will know that you're not doing something uh, that you should not have been doing. We must always confront the choice of enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season or else keeping under our bodies and bringing them into subjection and reducing sinful lusts into submission if we would inherit the eternal kingdom. You cannot be a regular pornography user and inherit the kingdom of God. The scripture is explicit and it is clear that no person who is a whoremonger, interestingly enough, in Revelation 21 verse 8, the word whoremonger in the Greek is pornos. It's actually the word from which we get pornography. But no person who is a fornicator, even in just in the sense of watching pornography, I'm not saying that if you've ever done it that you can't be saved. We don't say that about, uh, about any sin. But saying that if you are just a regular user of this filthy material, without repenting of it, without turning away from it, you need to uh, end your delusion that you're a believer in Christ and on your way to heaven because you're not and you need to repent and to be saved. Secondly, It's no accident that Christ's powerful language of plucking out the right eye and cutting off right hands is given in the context of adultery. Because these kinds of sins, sexual sins, uh, have such a powerful grip upon the minds and the hearts of men and and just control them, and they drag them down to hell. And so Christ says you must do whatever whatever is necessary to free yourself and to save yourself from these sins. Verses 29 and 30, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. There is a story that one of the, uh, uh, that one of the men in the early church by the name of Origen actually took this very literally and neutered himself to try to yield obedience to this commandment. I wouldn't recommend that, but I would recommend taking any drastic action that is necessary to save yourself from sins uh, that are taking you down to hell. The fight to control lust is a hard and desperate one, and never more so now than when the temptations are all around us, when you can't even walk out of your house and see billboards or see people out in public where there's not indecency and immorality, immodesty, all around you. We're living in an age, and especially in the summertime, when immodesty is ubiquitous and pornography is so cheaply and easily available. But this is a fight that we must fight if we would lay hold of eternal life because Jesus here and all of Scripture are crystal clear that sexual sin leads to hell. The society can joke about it and make its comedies about it and uh, make a mockery of it and shame on every Christian who is joining in with them in it, but... Society can mock at it and joke about it as much as they want. They will not be joking about it at the day of judgment. 
So any means that is necessary should be employed to save ourselves from this pandemic of pornography. If we have to throw away our smartphones or smash our TV screens or sell our computers to force ourselves uh, or free ourselves from this sin, then by all means do so. There's really nothing that is too radical when our souls are at stake, even if it took you to chop your right hand off or to, or to pull your right eye out to save your soul from everlasting hell, it would be worth it. That's what Jesus is plainly teaching here. And I would note that uh, this is another footnote, uh, getting a little bit of field from what we're doing, but Jesus here plainly teaches, I believe, that the sufferings of hell is not just spiritual and mental sufferings, but that the body is going to be punished as well. And I, be- I am... I firmly believe that because we sin with the body just as much as we do with the mind and with the spirit, and therefore the body will be subject to punishment in hell as well. And Jesus says that your whole body will be cast into hell if you do not free yourself uh, from these sins. If a particular device or any certain thing in your life is proving to be a constant temptation to sin, then deal with it by whatever means are necessary. But above all else, I would recommend to you that pornography must first and foremost be dealt with by accountability. Make yourself accountable to somebody in your life to help you stay free from it. Now, first, the first thing is that you must recognize your accountability to God. That's where we always have to start. And that's why we should be cultivating the fear of the Lord. Be thou in the fear of the Lord all day long. One of the lines that we sang uh, in this, uh, this morning. Be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Our God, the scripture tells us, is a consuming fire, and He is the one with whom we have to do. It would be very uh, embarrassing, very problematic for us if uh, our husband or wife or our parents caught us involved with pornography. They'd be very angry and upset with us, and rightfully so. But how much more embarrassing and terrifying is it going to be if we have been doing this our whole lives and then appear before the judgment throne of God and have not repented and turned away from this sin. That's going to be infinitely worse than whatever your angry spouse or parent would say to you about it. Christ warns us, this is not the the slick, uh, pat everybody on the head and approve of everything that anybody wants to do, Jesus, that... Uh, is the cartoon character that people have made up today. Jesus says that God is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And he assures us that no fornicator has an inheritance in his kingdom. And so, pornography watchers had best beware. Now, as Christians, this should not seem like a cruel burden, but rather a very friendly warning. We thank the Lord for giving us texts like these to warn us about the things that can lead us down to hell. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, sin no longer has dominion over you. That's the plain language of Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. The spirit within us is strong enough to give us victory over any sin, including the desire for pornography. We cannot serve Christ and indulge in pornography at the same time. I said this several times, I think, in the last many messages when we were talking about worship, but you can't stay up Saturday night watching pornography and then come into the church house and actually be worshiping God. God is not going to be very impressed with how loud you're singing or how close attention you're paying to the sermon if you've been defiling your mind with filth and pollution all night long. So we must cut off all excuses. 
Being single and lonely will not suffice as an excuse before God. Neither will uh, it suffice for you to say, well, I have a wife who doesn't understand my needs. There must be no excuses given for sin. You give, if you give this sin, really true of just about any sin, but this sin in particularly, which can get such a powerful grip on you to the point where it can control you more than you controlling it, if you give it leeway, it certainly will destroy your soul. There are no two ways about it. <clears throat> Secondly, in particular, if pornography is a temptation for you, one of the best safeguards is make yourself accountable to another person. Optimally, either your parents uh, or your spouse, depending on whether you're still young and in your parents' home or whether you're grown up and married, uh, would dictate that situation. I would say to all married couples that no husband or wife should be keeping anything on their phone or computer or any device that they may have private from their spouse. Joy knows that she can pick up my phone and see who I've been texting or what I've been doing on my phone anytime, day or night, and I can do the same with her. And that's how it always ought to be between any married couple. Amen. A husband who is keeping things secret from his wife or the wife from her husband, well, that marriage is not in a very healthy state. If you're not viewing anything inappropriate, then you shouldn't have any problem with your husband and wife, husband or wife seeing what you're doing. <clears throat> it is always a bad sign when a spouse is keeping secrets from their mate, and many times today I would, uh, I would say that when uh, a husband especially is keeping uh, something secret from his wife that he's been doing on his phone or computer, she is going to suspect, and in many cases rightly so, that he has been looking at and watching things that he should not be doing. Likewise, an honorable son or daughter should have no objection to a parent observing what they are doing in any online, uh, in any online or viewing activity. If you're trying to keep the things that you're looking at on your phone or on the computer secret from your parents, then you know in your own conscience that you're doing things that you ought not to be doing. And by the way, uh, for the sake of parents, I would say you need to make yourself aware of what your children are doing uh, on their computers or if they have a smartphone uh, Pick them up every now, every once in a while. Look at who they've been look at who they've been texting. Look at the videos they've been watching. Find out what they've been doing. And by the way, it's not just phones and computers now. Even though the video game systems nowadays are hooked up to the internet, so uh, seems like almost everything has has a connection to the web these days. So we have to be extremely careful and uh, not just act like, well, my children are such innocent little lambs that they would never do anything wrong. You're very foolish if you think that way. They've got the same sinful nature that you do. You know that when you were a teenager, a young man or woman, that you were doing things that you shouldn't have been doing, uh, probably were communicating with people that you shouldn't have been communicating with, or at least talking about things you shouldn't have been talking about. And if you want your children to do better than you did, then pay attention to what they're doing. Don't just expect them to be honorable and have integrity. Hopefully they do. I know that... Uh, I know that I wasn't a perfectly innocent person when I was in my late teens, early 20s, so uh, my parents probably should have kept a closer eye on me than they did. So uh, we need to keep a very close eye on what our children are seeing because not only might they look at something intentionally, but they can also stumble across things accidentally uh, without, without deliberately doing it, as I've already made mention. And I would say to the children and the young people, the same thing that I say about a husband and wife, that if you're trying to keep things secret from the knowledge of your parents, then you know that you're doing something wrong. Your own conscience will warn you of that uh, if you have not already hardened it past the point of reparation. <clears throat> and to parents, uh, I would add that in an age where rampant pornography and sexual predators 
are abounding on every hand, we have a duty to know what our in-home children are doing on any internet-connected device. Let's pay attention to what our children are seeing and who they're communicating with and make sure they're not getting into things that could prove ruinous for their souls. And for anyone who may be struggling with pornography usage, I hope I'm preaching to the choir today and there's nobody in here that, uh, that needs this sermon uh, in a very personal and particular way. The odds are, though, that the statistics being what they are, that in any congregation of this size, there is uh, very likely to be pornography users among them. Hopefully this congregation is an exception. But if there is someone here struggling with it and they desire to be free from it, there are accountability apps that you can get, put on your phone, your computer. They can be purchased at very reasonable prices and you hook somebody else up to it, a spouse or uh, maybe a pastor or a good Christian friend or something so that they can see everything that you're doing on the internet. I can think of at least one uh, Christian couple who, as far as I know, have not had any issues in their marriage, but they, they use one of these accountability apps because uh, they just want to make sure uh, to safeguard themselves that they're, neither one of them are doing uh, anything illicit or immoral. And uh, I don't say that everybody needs to do that or has to do that if you haven't had any moral trouble in your life, but it is, it is an available option and a very good option for people to use if they are struggling with this particular sin and, uh, and are tempted to go back to it. By making yourself accountable to a parent, a spouse, a pastor, or a friend, you may safeguard yourself against this deadly temptation. But the most important thing is to seek out the grace and the power derived from the fullness of Jesus Christ. Now people can be freed from drug usage or alcoholism or, uh, or even pornography usage without necessarily being converted to Christ. People can come to the recognition that this is, this is harmful, it's destructive, it's hurting my marriage and hurting my children and so I need to stop it. Some people can do it by sheer willpower. Some people can get in programs that help them get free from it without ever being uh, actually saved. And although that will certainly provide some temporary benefit for them, it's not going to rescue their souls from damnation if they do not come to Christ. I love that line in the Gospel of John where John says, Of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. And the grace of Christ is not only for the washing away of our sins and the imputation of righteousness, but also to give us power to overcome sin and to live the godly life that we are called to live. All manner of sexual sin, including pornography viewing, can be forgiven by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor need the pardoned sinner remain enslaved to this powerful but base lust. Indeed, the pardoned sinner cannot remain enslaved to this or any other lust. not saying that you won't ever fall, that you won't ever stumble ever again in your whole life. We don't ever want to make that promise because we know that even the very godliest of men have stumbled. But, again, I point you back to Romans 6.14, that sin cannot have dominion over us because we are now dwelling in the realm of grace. Grace which not only pardons, but also cleanses within. When he says that we're not under the law, but under grace, he's not saying that the law of God is of no use uh, to us anymore. Obviously, it's the law of God that provides the very principle that Christ was espousing here. Thou shalt not commit adultery means more than don't just perform the act of adultery. It means don't even entertain the lust in your mind. But when he says that we're not under the law but under grace, what we need to understand is that when the law says thou shalt not commit adultery, the law tells you what not to do, but it doesn't give you any help in not doing it. In fact, as Paul makes clear in Romans 7, in many cases, and I think sexual sin is particularly this way, 
The very fact that you know that this is wrong makes it more exciting and alluring. And that's why people pursue sexual sin with so much ardor in many cases. is just for the fact that they know that it's wrong, but it's so fun and it's so exciting, they're going to do it anyway. The law doesn't help you, but the grace of Christ can give you power to overcome sins that have had you in bondage for years, maybe even decades. There is no excuse for a Christian living in slavery to any sin. The very power of God in the person of the Holy Ghost resides in you. Now, all of us are subject to particular temptations, and the things that are a particular temptation for me may not be a problem for you, and vice versa. We all know what the particular things that we struggle with are. Therefore, whatever we are struggling with, and I say this particularly if you uh, struggle with the temptation to use pornography, remember that if you have believed in Christ, you have the Holy Ghost, and that He will help you. He is willing to help you and able to help you to overcome and to gain victory over even such a, a powerful temptation as this. Through grace, we may not only have our sins fully forgiven, but we may also emerge as more than conquerors in our struggle against even the most vexing sins. So there's no excuse for us continuing in this sin. Repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive of His fullness the grace that you need to overcome a sin that if you do not overcome it will drag you down to hell. If you're still enslaved to this sin, then you have no right to presume that you're a Christian because you made a profession and got baptized at some particular time in your life. Don't make a presumption in your own favor that you have no right to make. If you're enslaved to this sin, repent of it. Confess it. Make yourself accountable to some other person who will help you stay free from it. And then take up the spiritual weapons that God has given to you and make use of them and conquer and overcome this and every other sin. Heavenly Father, these are indeed serious matters that we have addressed today. They're uh, certainly painful and uncomfortable, but they are very necessary to address. And I plead, Lord, for each and every one of us, and especially the young people who are growing up in a world where there are uh, temptations that even even those as young as I am did not uh, face some of the thing, uh, have some of the temptations, or at least the availability of those temptations, uh, so handy to us as they do growing up now here in the year 2020. So I pray for them, that you would keep them from becoming enslaved to this dreadful sin. Help them to remember that it is the pure in heart who shall see God. Lord, for those of us who have sinned and transgressed your law in these ways that we have been discussing today, we thank you that there is forgiveness, for we sin against light and against conscience, as we have made clear. But we thank you that there is forgiveness and there is grace to overcome, and that the blood of Christ can indeed cleanse us from all sins. We thank you that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive, and pray that you would preserve us from ever falling in these ways again. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>